Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Pekosek. And today we are joined by Garrett Mintz, the founder of Ambition in Motion. Garrett helps companies break through employee communication barriers through horizontal mentorship. He challenges the traditional vertical mentoring relationship to increase the likelihood of mentor relationships lasting longer and being more effective. He joins us from Bloomington, Indiana. Garrett, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Of course, Mike. Thanks for having me. I know you've got a pretty amazing life story. Can you just shed light on that for our dear listener before we get into our topic? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. So um, I am passionate about mentoring relationships. And the reason why I'm passionate about mentoring relationships is because I personally needed mentors in my life. Um, so to kind of give some context into that, from age 15 to age 19, I was a drug dealer. and at the end of my freshman year at Indiana University, I got arrested in an undercover operation by the Indiana University Police Department, and I received five felony distribution charges, and I was expelled from school. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, it was uh, hit my life like a brick wall, because up until that moment in time, I thought success was you go to school, you get good grades, you get a job, and then somewhere along those lines you find yourself like it's, it's puberty it just hits you but that's not how life works and i was forced at an early age or at least an earlier age to grab life by the horns or because if i wasn't going to grab it i was going to prison like that was the situation i was dealt that, that i really dealt for myself i put myself these were all self-inflicted wounds um but i got very lucky i ended up getting enrolled in a program called at the crossroads in saint george utah and that really exposed me to the power of mentoring relationships, both on a personal and a professional level. And on a professional side, about a month and a half after moving to Utah, I flew back to Chicago for the weekend to let my family know that my life's getting on track. I'm originally from the Chicagoland area. And um, on that flight, I'm sitting next to a guy. Now, at this, time in, at this exact point in time in my life, I was reading the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And in that book, he talks about the importance of asking other people questions and the fact that people love to talk about themselves. So I said, screw it, I'm gonna give this a shot. I'm gonna give this a try. So I'm sitting on this airplane, sitting next to this guy. Um, I don't really share anything with him about me. I just ask him questions and I take a keen interest. And he like, you know, throughout the conversation is just like, wow, you're such a great conversationalist, Garrett. You know, you really, you know, I really feel like we're really getting to know each other. In reality, I probably said maybe <laughs> one or two sentences about myself and the power of asking questions and taking a keen interest in listening. Um, by the time the plane lands, he said, by the way, I'm the director of ground equipment for SkyWest Airlines. And what would you think about doing a financial uh, analysis internship with us in our ground equipment department? And like, boom, right there, I got an internship on the spot. And that was amazing. That was really cool. Here's an example of a guy who takes me under his wing, mentors me, does not care about the fact that I may go to prison within the next year. And um, he gives me wow. a chance. It was cool. Um, so what I ended up doing after that was really kind of like the moment that defined a lot of kind of like where I'm at today with mentorship is I'm in this program in Utah and I was lucky to get this opportunity, but a lot of the other, these other young men and women were not getting opportunities because they had to check the box that said, I've been convicted of a crime. So what I ended up doing was I ended up going to a lot of these local business owners and these professionals. And I said, hey, don't give this kid a job, but be a mentor to him or her. And it was just like a light bulb went off. All these people mm -hmm. said, yes, 
it was really amazing to help facilitate these introductions. Some of them worked out better than others, but the fact that these students, these young, they weren't students, they were just 18 to 25 year olds, just felt empowered to go out and meet a professional it was really cool. And I loved it, I was hooked and I got very lucky. Um, the court system ended up seeing what I was doing and Indiana University ended up seeing what I was doing and my felonies were dropped dropped to a misdemeanor conviction and Indiana University ended up re-rolling. That's amazing, honestly. Yeah, that's a story of life giving you lemons and you making a whole batch of lemonade. Yeah, I got pretty lucky. That's for darn sure. I feel very blessed. I uh, I got, you know, and that's the thing. I think I, I want to be very clear. I guess you could say life dealt me lemons, but I dealt my own lemons. Like I was in a situation, like I'm a white male in the United States of America. I have privilege and I put myself into my own issues. And I feel very lucky that I was supported to have opportunities to join at the crossroads and to even just be in the position to take advantage of the opportunities that I got because most people don't even get those opportunities. I just, I, I was lucky enough that I was ready to take advantage of the opportunities that were there yeah. when they came, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And that's a great awareness too, because it's, it's having the opportunities, but also not being in that victim mentality and being able to take advantage of them. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's true. So anyways, I, uh, I get re-enrolled at Indiana um, University. I ended up starting Ambition in Motion in 2013. The initial idea was, can I connect college students with alumni for mentoring relationships? There is a lot of red tape with working with universities and just in higher ed in general. And so what I ended up doing was I ended up giving away the program for free. Uh, and we ended up scaling it to a little over 300 campuses, which was super cool. And we facilitated thousands of mentoring relationships, which was amazing. We weren't really making any money, but uh, we were making an impact and we were learning a ton about mentorship. And the big thing that was like a, the first big red flag that we had observed was that when traditional mentorship is facilitated, by that I mean vertical mentorship, matching a senior person to a junior person strictly because one person's senior and one person's junior. If that is the sole reason for why a mentor program exists, um, or to transition some form of knowledge to another person just because they have that knowledge, that only 18% of those relationships last for six months and are considered productive and quality by both participants. Mm. So horizontal mentorship became a thing, but the first thing we had observed, so I partnered with some industrial and organizational psychologists, and we tried predictive index and culture index and Myers-Briggs and DISC, and they're all great assessments. We just thought, okay, you know, maybe if we align that for mentoring relationships, there will be a correlation to successful mentorship. And because we had this huge pool of students and alumni and mentors to work with and match, um, we could kind of test out different uh, methodologies. And some kind of worked, some didn't work. The thing that was the most effective was this thing called work orientation. So work orientation is how you view your work. Some people view their work as a job, some people view their work as a career, and some people view their work as a calling. And to elaborate, someone who's job-oriented, their focus is on work-life balance, someone who's career-oriented, their focus is on professional growth, and someone who's calling-oriented, their focus is on how does my personal professional mission align? And imagine like a triangle, it's a spectrum. So job, career, calling, you can change throughout your life. There's not a right or wrong work orientation. But when two people's work orientations are aligned for a mentoring relationship, the likelihood that relationship lasts for six months and is productive in quality goes from 18% to 72%. Wow. It's a big shift. 
And by the way, this is regardless of your status, years of experience, area of expertise. Like we could still match a senior to a junior person, but if their work orientations align, that is the basis for the match, not the fact that one person's senior and the other person's junior. And that was like the big, whoa, aha. Like if we could do that, we can eradicate a lot of the ego that exists in a lot of mentoring relationships. Because a lot of times what I'll hear is, oh, I'm happy to be a mentor to somebody. If they want to ask me questions, I'm happy to answer them, but I'm not interested in actually getting a mentor. That's code name for, I'm more than happy to spew my advice to anybody who's willing to listen, but I'm not actually here to ask questions or take some time to listen to what somebody else has to say. And that's not a true mentoring relationship. True mentoring relationships are mutual. Both people are giving and taking to the relationship. And that is really so critical. So that, therefore, eradicating those vertical hierarchies like status, years of experience, area of expertise is critical to getting rid of the ego. It's a really interesting perspective on this. Um, most people, when they think of a mentorship relationship, they think of one person asking questions of the other person and the other person giving information. That's, that's true. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how mentorship got started. I mean, if you look up in Webster's dictionary for the definition of mentor, the definition I believe says a trusted and a wise and trusted advisor. I, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but something like that. Mm -hmm. um, what we've observed is that the best mentoring, the longest lasting, the most productive, the one where people keep coming back to each other because they just want to get more are the ones where both people are motivated to learn from each other. And that's mm -hmm. the critical thing. So if it only feels like one person's asking questions and getting out like outcomes from it, eventually it's going to dissipate. It's going to fall apart because one person's going to be like, why am I in this? Like, what am I getting out of this? But if you really are getting something from this relationship, it can last a whole lot longer because both people are motivated and incentivized to keep coming. Very yeah. cool. It's got to be a win-win of some sort, right? Exactly. Like you can fake, you know, being philanthropic and, you know, wanting to give back as much as you want to, but eventually it's going to take, it, it's going to take time and time is a precious resource. And unless you have some form of something that you're getting out of this relationship too, and this, by the way, could be the empowerment of teaching somebody something else, as well as the empowerment of learning from something else. Um, if you're getting that, that keeps you coming back for more, that keeps you engaged, and um, that can be a, a huge, that, that could be the basis for why people keep coming back. The time then stops the matter. With everything that you've done in the world of horizontal mentorship, what can you say are, are some of the benefits of these relationships that you've been able to create for people? Yeah, I mean, really the key is empathy. Um, empathy is the biggest key. I mean, so often we're at work, we're in silos. Like as a company, I get the structure for why most companies are set up the way that they are. Typically, you need to get one task done. So you hire one person or multiple people to do that task. That's how we create departments. Your department is in charge of getting this thing done. But then every, what we must realize that every department's interconnected in some way, shape, or form. And what unfortunately happens is that they become silent. People in accounting are thinking to themselves, what the heck does sales do all day? They're spending $200 on lunch? What are they even doing? How could you spend $200 on lunch? People in sales are thinking to themselves, what is Jenny doing in accounting? I've got no idea. She just sits in front of the computer all day. I've got no idea what's going on. <laughs> See, and that's, that lack of empathy is a huge cripple to company culture 
and people being engaged and just people being productive because ultimately people start thinking that other people are sabotaging them at work. They start living in their own lanes and stop being empathetic to what other people's needs are or even like the fact that they may have needs and that we might be stomping on. And so to kind of share a story, I love to share the story of Jim and Luke. Uh, for a company we work with, Jim is the director of training and development. It's like 56, Luke's 33, he's in accounting. Different ages, different departments, different statuses within the company. Before the mentoring relationship, and by the way, we, we collect data on are they engaged at work. Both guys are engaged at work. But here's the thing, before the mentoring relationship, Jim told us in a feedback session that he would openly complain about Luke because he would get these emails from Luke saying that he didn't do an expense report properly. In his mind, he didn't dot an eye across the T. It seemed trivial, but a huge pain in the butt because he'd have to go back and redo these expense reports. It took him like 10 to 15 minutes. And he really had no idea the kind of pressures that Luke was under. So he would openly complain about it. He talked to other people in his department, even outside of his department, you know, talking smack about Luke because he's like, man, I'm, I'm, these emails are really a big pain in the butt. Now, what if Luke were to be walking down the hall one day? Unbeknownst to Jim, Jim's talking smack about him at the coffee station and over to his gym, Jim's saying that stuff about him. How does that Luke, make Luke feel about his job? And it's, it's not great. But what horizontal mentorship does is it helps them realize that they're more similar than they are different. So on their work orientation triangles, they're both career oriented. They both realize that they're motivated by professional growth, learning new skills that help them be better at their job. And that makes them now more human. It bridges that gap. Jim's now able to empathize with Luke because he thinks that this 10 to 15 minute redo of the expense report is a pain in the butt. It's a whole lot more of a pain in the butt to have the IRS come down and audit their business for the next two weeks and halt everything that goes on. And he doesn't, he, Jim didn't realize that. Mm. And so that relationship created that empathy. And then Jim went back to Luke and said, Hey, you know, if you do have to send back an expense report, if he did it in this way, it would save me about 10 minutes. It would take me from 15 minutes to about five minutes to redo the report. No one ever told Luke because no one felt comfortable trying to tell Luke how to do his job. But because they had that bond and that rapport there, that horizontal mentoring relationship, Jim was like, hey, what if you did it like this? Luke was like, I had no idea. I just did it the way that was most convenient for me. Back to the whole notion, everyone kind of lives in their own lane, does it what's most convenient for them, and really didn't change his habits to, to redo the way that he sends back the expense reports. Now multiple people have come back to Luke and said, hey, Keep on doing what you're doing because this made my life so much easier in terms of redoing an expense report. Mm. So create efficiencies all across the business. And so I think a lot of times business owners might think, oh, you know, what is the value of horizontal mentorship? Sometimes it's just the little things of having people have conversations that previously did not exist and allowing them to empathize on a deeper level than just sports, weather, family, mm. fashion, typical superficial topics. Oh, yeah. It's interesting how developing empathy for other people can slow us down in a way that often allows us to speed up later, right? To just sort of pause and respond to different things as opposed to getting super reactive and deep into conflict that just hauls everybody down. I, I hear you on that. Like that's, that really resonates for me. Do you have any more insights as to why the vertical mentorship model isn't really effective? Yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of goes back to that ego kind of notion of if I'm coming into a mentoring relationship thinking that I'm going to be, quote unquote, a reactive mentor, it gives me the justification to come in unprepared to that meeting. Now, like mm -hmm. when we work for the company, I'll provide a meeting agenda. 
it will take two minutes for somebody to read over. If you do that and you think, okay, cool, here's some questions I've got prepared for this meeting, or here are the questions I've already prepared for me. I wanna, I've already answered them in my, you know, and wrote them down. I'm excited to learn the answers from my paired mentor. That's awesome. But if you come in thinking like, I'm not gonna do any prep work for this, you're going to set yourself up for failure because ultimately it's going to convey to the other person that, you know, essentially like more or less you need me, like you need me for this mentor relationship. And that's not rewarding at all. It makes it feel like, well, who the heck are you? Mm -hmm. And what we know is that when people can teach other people things as well as be open to learning from them, that it actually helps reinforce a lot of the things that they are doing. I know, Mike, you are um, in this you know, higher ed space. When people teach things to other people, it helps reinforce in their mind what they're doing. And so by having that two people mentoring each other type of relationship, it allows people to teach other people. So back to the whole vertical mentoring uh, components, we hypothesize that the reason why they are not successful is because it creates a gap, a hierarchical gap between people that ultimately is not conducive for the relationship to build and grow because the only thing that's sustaining it is one person's affinity for that other person if they think to themselves like oh man i'm meeting with the ceo of the company that's so cool that's amazing she's mentoring me that's amazing i didn't even think that was possible and you know that affinity will, will only that, that allure will only exist for so long if she comes in unprepared for three, four meetings, eventually you're going to be like, yeah, she doesn't like really come in prepared to these meetings. And, you know, I, I, like I'm not really getting that much out of it. And it's like tough because she's not really remembering anything that we talked about in previous conversations or she's thinking of some other person and bringing up notes from that conversation to this meeting. It doesn't feel like she's fully invested in this relationship. And now it feels weird. It's like I met my hero and now I don't know if it's like the real person for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So outside of the career orientation match, what are some of the other characteristics of horizontal mentorship? Yeah, so the other characteristics of horizontal mentorship include people, build, so I guess maybe another way of, of putting it is, is understanding what engages people at work. So one of the things that we observed was that people with different work orientations have different levels of engagement at work. And so when we create meeting agendas for people in these horizontal mentoring relationships, we structure them based on their work orientation. So if you're job oriented, we know that at, at work, you get a lot of your workplace engagement from the social components of work. So you get a lot of engagement from doing things socially. So going out and grabbing lunch, that's a great thing or volunteering together. That's a great thing for people who are job oriented. But if you've got two people who are career oriented, they get a lot of their workplace engagement from the energy of doing the work itself. So going out to lunch and volunteering actually wouldn't be that great. People would be stressed thinking to themselves like, gosh, darn it, I got to go do these, these, and this, this, and this thing. So instead, if you have the conversations and the relationship at work itself where they're learning a skill that can help them be better at doing whatever mm -hmm. they're doing, that's something that's a lot more motivated to them. And then if you're calling oriented, you get a lot of workplace engagement from the fulfillment of doing the work itself. So those meeting agendas are very much focused on abstract concepts. So talking about not only how does my work impact my department, but my company as a whole, my community as a whole, it then helps them really reinforce a lot of the work that they're doing. And so when it comes to, back to your question of like, what are the other components of horizontal mentorship? It's having agendas that are customized to your shared work orientations. It's constantly learning new skills that will help you be better in a mentoring relationship. So I'll run these 
uh, lunch and learns. Um, actually, I've got one tomorrow on body language and how that impacts a mentoring relationship. But we've talked about things like um, we talk about things like unconscious bias in a in a mentoring relationship, or um, how to be vulnerable in a mentoring relationship, or how to communicate blind spots to a mentor, as well as how to be open to having blind spots communicated to you in a mentoring relationship. And hmm. the last, and the really probably the most critical key is that the feedback that we receive is not just via a survey, not just via a form, but also in person. Because there's so many things that you can learn from these in-person relationships that maybe don't come out in the form. So to give you like an example of that, in another company we're working with, we matched two women together, Sophia and Lori. Sophia's 28. She is a junior developer, so she's doing software coding and stuff like that. Lori is 48. She is the VP of customer success. Um, so they're in totally different departments. They don't normally interact with each other. And after their second meeting, Sophia wrote in her comment form, like, this was great. But this was great does not encompass what they actually accomplished. They ended up creating a women's empowerment group at their company because they felt like that was something that was needed. <laughs> creating a women's wow. empowerment group and this was great are two totally different things. So Sophia and Lori on their own time outside of work ended up going to women in technology fairs across at universities across the state of Indiana to recruit other young women in technology to join this group, which was just so cool. But on a form, all it says was this was great. <laughs> like it's tough like the feedback actually yeah. learning about what they're doing is the coolest thing so that's like the last component of horizontal mentorship is really focusing in on the even each and every single individual relationship because that's where like the meat and potatoes of like amazing things can happen and that's just learning about that's so cool that's so cool very neat for someone who's looking to kind of get some degree of professional mentorship in their life. They've heard about mentorship. It's out there as an abstract thing for them. Like, what would you say to them to help them get started in the process of finding mentorship? Yeah, great question. So I think it starts with just being genuinely curious. Mentorship is not a transaction. Networking is not a transaction. Relationship building, not a transaction. If you are only doing it because you want to get XYZ thing out of something or someone, you're in it for the wrong reasons. You will not accomplish what you want because people can sniff your bullshit. <laughs> people can see right through you. And mm -hmm. if you're only chatting with me because you want a job at my company or because you want me to buy your product, like if that is the main motivation for the relationship, I, I'm not, no one's going to feel emotionally invested in it. And so the key here is to be genuinely curious into what other people have to say. And so asking questions. And coming in, knowing that you may not be the most ex like expertise in this area, but that they could offer you something. But at the same time, you could offer them something. But the best way to offer them something is to, to share wisdom in the form of questions, not statements. So if you're going into a mentoring relation or you're going into any conversation, I don't even, I don't even like to come in with the anticipation that's going to be a mentoring relationship. I just like thinking to myself, here's a relationship with somebody. And I'm open to seeing what could happen here. If they really like what I'm working on, that's amazing. And if not, that's okay. I'm okay with rejection. But um, if you can, in this relationship, when you notice there's something that you know that they may not know or that you think would be really beneficial to them, as opposed to saying, hey, you should think about doing this, you should turn that around and say, hey, have you ever considered doing X, Y, Z thing? Asking in the form of the question creates the IKEA effect which is the, this effect that, you know, if you go to Ikea, 
you are building your desk or your table on your own. The idea, the notion of the IKEA effect is that if you helped build it, if you helped create the idea, you're much more likely to be invested mm-hmm. in that outcome. And so by asking questions as opposed to making statements, you are now empowering that person when they ever, whenever they take an action that is part of their idea as well as your idea. Love that. I love the IKEA effect too. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a degree of like mutual ownership over this, this connection. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That has to be there for it to really have a chance at flourishing in the longer term. So would you recommend just kind of going out and looking for people that interest you? Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. If there are people and now here's, there's a couple caveats. I kind of touched on it before. Be okay with rejection. I think I touched on it like a second ago. Like sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes. That's okay. Reach out to people who interest you and come in with zero expectations. If you can trade your expectations for appreciation, you'll be infinitely happier in anything Mm -hmm. that you do, but especially mentorship. Because if you think, oh my goodness, if this person ends up becoming my mentor, oh my gosh, this could be amazing. This could be that thing, bang, boom. This kind of gets you into that transactional mentality if you've got all these expectations, but if you eradicate the expectations, you could go into this meeting and say, hey, I've got no idea what's going to happen. Like sitting next to that guy in the airplane, like I had no idea he was director of ground equipment for SkyWest Airlines. Honestly, on appearances alone, he was wearing jean shorts, a cutoff sleeve t-shirt. He was wearing like sunglasses on the airplane itself. Like he looked like a landscaper. Mm-hmm. Like I came in with no expectations for this conversation. It just so happens that he was director of ground equipment for SkyWest Airlines, but he also never hired an intern. Like he didn't, he, he had the power to hire interns. He just never did. He just liked me and gave me a shot. And so I think coming in with no expectations can help you accomplish that. But at the same time, if it seems like it makes sense for the opportunity to continue, like to continue the relationship, don't, don't be afraid to ask. That's the big thing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So there can be, there can be a sort of directed attempt at trying to actually continue in more of that slightly more formal mentorship way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of immediate action. I'm a big massive action plan person. Um, Sometimes it's my own detriment. So Mm -hmm. some people will ready, aim, fire. I'm more like ready, fire, aim. Um, (laughs) And by that, I just mean if I'm meeting with someone and I really enjoy what they have to say, and I'm thinking to myself, I would love to have a follow-up conversation. I will ask for that, but then I will also schedule that next conversation in the moment I'm speaking with them. I said, Hey, this has been awesome. I am loving this. Would you be open to scheduling maybe another 30 minute conversation in like a week or two? If they feel the same way, they're going to say, absolutely. Of course. And I say, you know what? Could we put that on the calendar right now? You've got your phone in front of you. I got my phone in front of me. Like, let's just find it, put in the date, I'll send you a calendar invite, and then bing, bang, boom, it's on the calendar. Because it's very easy to say, I'd love to do another conversation, and then it's like you get into email nothingness, you know, email the space zone. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you schedule it in the moment, you've got it, it's on the calendar. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. A really good point, honestly. And in itself, a great lesson in terms of building relationships in this digital world we live in. Is there something that we should talk about, Garrett, before we get into kind of what we call our back end, where we ask some some questions to, that we ask of all of our guests? Is there anything that we should bring up? Yeah, I think one other stat that like, and I'm sorry, I'm super data 
nerdy. Uh, but I think they're interesting, and I'm obviously pretty passionate about it. But one more recent stat that we've identified is that 68% of engaged employees, so these are engaged employees, not, these are not just all employees, but the engaged employees, 68% of them believe that there are communication barriers between them and other employees at work. Now, I think that's critical because those communication barriers are how a lack of empathy starts. It starts to assume what other people are doing in other departments, and then it starts to grow into frustration, or this person's trying to sabotage me, or I really hate it when this person does this, but I don't say anything to anybody about it. And um, yeah, I'm on a mission to break through communication barriers. I think you can severely diminish work politics, um, severely diminish communication barriers, and that's really what my, I'm, out, I'm set out to accomplish. Cool. That's so cool. I can hear the energy in your voice around it. It's pretty cool. It's interesting too, because I feel like um, in my, I was an accountant in my past life. And so in a lot of ways, I was often seeking horizontal mentorship. I just didn't know what it was called. And I feel like if I had had that terminology to be able to do it consciously and to give more thought to the way that you interact with people, it really, really helps. Totally. And, and I think, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And, and horizontal mentorship is a relatively like new term. Um, it's a category we're trying to create it. In fact, you know, we see things like um, holiday parties and other get togethers socially between employees. And I think those are great for a group setting, but the one-on-one is so critical because people love to talk and people love to be an active participant in the conversation. It's easy to hide and be disparate in a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also having the terminology, like you said, on the communication side of things, it actually gives people permission to start those conversations, which is half of what that communication issue tends to be. So true. I, uh, gosh, that's such a great point. It makes mm-hmm. me think of the companies that have the open door policies, which are just so funny because, I mean, I, I, you both are we're coming from the higher ed lens. I remember being in class, thinking about what percentage of students would actually raise their hands and ask questions or answer questions from the professor? Like five to 10%. Like very few people. But does that mean nobody else has questions? The answer is absolutely not. And so when we look at open door policies, that's kind of like saying like, hey, like it's open to everybody. Take advantage of it. My door is open. Nobody goes in. No one opens the door. And the reason for that is because they don't want to disturb you. They don't know what question to ask and they don't feel comfortable with coming to somebody else, a leader within the company with their questions because they, maybe they're down on themselves. They think this is a dumb question Um, or they don't know what to ask, but they know they want to build a rapport. And so this, like you said, uh, Lisa, it gives people permission to build that bond. Awesome. We've got some questions that we like to put in front of all of our guests. So I'm going to kick this back over to Lisa. Yeah. So the first question that we have is, you know, our careers can be fun. So what would you say is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? Gosh, there's so many moments. I feel like I love learning these new stories. Like I'm passionate about like, you know, the Sophia and Lori and Jim and Luke and and all the people that we match together, gathering that feedback is so fun because it's so cool to hear that even it's so funny even like the feedback like it's like that's not as positive i remember i got feedback from these two women who had been working at a company that we're working with they've been working at the company for 20 plus years and they had felt that the meeting agendas we provided for them were not as relevant to them because they had already known each other and they were like saying like you know hey we we didn't even talk about the agendas 
because we didn't think that the agendas were relevant to us. So we both run our own respective departments and we ended up creating operational efficiencies between our departments. So suck on your agenda. And I'm like, if you both created operational efficiencies between your departments and that never existed beforehand, I'm satisfied. Mm -hmm. Like that's amazing. <laughs> like I, it, it's, it, it's good feedback. Definitely something I can improve the agendas for people that are more experienced when they're mentoring each other. That's awesome to know. But the fact that you both had created operational efficiencies that had previously not existed, I call that a win in my book. Totally. Um, and so I love learning how people interact. Um, so I guess the most funnest thing is, I don't know, as an entrepreneur, when you create programs and protocols and processes and things uh, in technology, you kind of, you have this like kind of like imposter syndrome where you're like, like there, how could I have possibly created something that was actually valuable? Like, I feel like, you know, I, I mean, sure. I've been doing this for like many years now, but I don't know. Sometimes I think to myself, like, I don't know, I, like anyone else could have done it. It makes me feel pretty cool and pretty good when like someone used something that I created or I helped and create. Cause it wasn't me, by the way, I've got a team of people that are way smarter than I am, <laughs> but to create, help create something with somebody, give it to somebody else and then them say, this was really awesome. This changed my life. This made a really positive impact on me is uh, an amazing feeling. And I feel very grateful that I get to do that. And um, so that's the most fun is it, I think, I don't know, someone once asked me what gives me the most joy in life. And it's not necessarily me experiencing, me experiencing things. It's me experiencing things and then helping other people like experience those things that are like the amazing things and, and seeing how they react to it and like mm -hmm. looking at their faces and like seeing them like experience it themselves and get a ton of value out of it. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. Being able to, to kind of work through and, and allow others to experience what you've experienced. That's amazing. Totally. Yeah. I, I shoot. I went, uh, I, so in January I went, um, on a vacation with my partner Dean. She and I went, she's, I've been a certified scuba diver. She's never been scuba diving. Mm -hmm. So I, I love scuba diving, but she was like so nervous to go and do it. And we got like a special instructor to go with her one-on-one. -on -one. And um, she, you know, first went down like three feet and was like, I can't do it. And then eventually she went and did it. And we were like on a shipwreck and saw a shark. And I was just like, so cool that for her so first cool. dive, she saw like a sea turtle and a shark and an eel. And I'm like, that is the greatest, like this made our whole, my, my whole vacation. Forget me seeing any of that stuff. The fact that you saw it and, and yeah. you, and like I helped you experiencing that is, uh, I don't know, that's probably like my favorite thing. That is so cool. We're more connected than we know in this world. So true. Yeah. All right. So a lot of our listeners are going through some sort of career transition and often that includes some sort of risk. What is the biggest risk that you've taken in your career and how did that turn out? Yeah, um, great question. I mean, I think there's a lot of things. I remember when I first started Ambition in Motion, um, as an entrepreneur, I've got this thing called the screw it moment where it's like in your mind, you just say screw it. I mean, at that point in time, I was a drug dealer. I had gotten arrested. I got, you know, five felony distribution charges. I, I was at the bottom. In my mind, I had nothing to lose. I was playing with house cards. If I created something and it totally flopped, what did I have to lose? But if I positively impacted one person, it was a win. Like, how could it not be a win? So inherently, I think it, when I started Ambition in Motion, 
I thought it was risky, but I ended up realizing that all that adversity, all the, the most difficult component, the most difficult things that have ever happened to me in my life ended up being the best things that have ever happened to me. I remember when I, like the first year I started Ambition in Motion, like we didn't have a single sale. Like we weren't making any money. We weren't, like it was a big struggle. I ended up getting an internship for the summer between my junior and senior year. I studied abroad in Shanghai, China. And two weeks before coming back, the guy that was running my internship ends up sending me an email saying, hey, we don't have the business. We don't have an internship. Sorry, sorry about you. And like, bam, I was like, whoa, what am I gonna do? And I ended up reinventing Ambition in Motion and it helped pave the way to what it is today. And that, anytime that I look back at anything that was difficult in my life, it always was the best thing because I always iterated and pivoted. It's like, you can, only once you are uncomfortable, truly uncomfortable, and you're willing to take action, that is the moment you're going to have the greatest breakthroughs in your life, at least that was the case with me. So when it comes to like, what was the biggest risk that I took? I think there's a lot of risks that I take, but I'm consciously aware that I know that when I take risks and I'm doing things that make me uncomfortable, that I'm learning something and I'm going to be better for it down the line. So true. I've heard somebody say that discomfort breeds innovation. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Discomfort does breed innovation. And that's really cool to hear too, because it, I've noticed a trend through all of our guests in that people often say, you know, looking back now, it wasn't really that much of a risk, mm -hmm. but at the time it felt like a huge risk. Yeah. It's uh, I heard a speaker, I think his name's Guy Raz. He had said this thing about what is risky versus what is scary. And um, I think it was his story. He worked at Sam Adams, like the brewing company. He had a cushy job and he knew that was not the life for him. So switching was really risky, but it wasn't scary because he knew this was the life that he eventually wanted to go to. But staying in a job that he thought was not the right fit for him was scary, but it wasn't risky. It was scary because you're going to live the rest of your life being miserable doing this thing that you don't like doing. Yeah. And um, I think distinguishing between that, I thought that was really wise and insightful. And um, I don't know. I just think that makes a whole lot of sense to me. So for anybody who's watching this, like, where are you at? Like, are you kind of going through the phases, but you know it's not the spot for you, but you're like, I got kids, I got bills to pay, I got all these other things. If that's the thing that's holding you back, and by the way, I, we're recording this right now in the middle of this coronavirus epidemic, so I recognize that I am consciously empathetic to every and any situation that you may be in, but there is always sunlight at the end of this, you know, cloudy time period. Um, you will eventually get there. It may make you uncomfortable. It may give you a lot of discomfort right now. It may light a fire under your ass, but that fire will lead you to pursuing the work or the career or the just living situation that you want to be in because you were the one willing to take massive action while everybody else was not. Here, here. Amen. All right. So last question that we have is what is the best piece of career advice that you have ever received? The best piece of advice that I've ever received career-wise was uh, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Um, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a professional in your career, if you know that you want to be world-class, you want to be an expert, you want to be the person in any specific field, industry, area, entrepreneurship, area, anything, you cannot give up. Like you can pivot, you can iterate, you can make changes, but you cannot give up. 
once you give up, you're starting from ground zero. You're going to just be mediocre in a whole bunch of things because you are impatient. You cannot fail. The only failure is in giving up. I believe a VC firm did a research about this in terms of indicators about which entrepreneurs are the most likely to be successful. By the way, this doesn't necessarily have to apply to entrepreneurs. This can apply to anybody in business, but especially for entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurs that were the most likely to achieve success were not the ones with the most brilliant team or the most brilliant idea or the most funding. It were the, it were the entrepreneurs that were willing to, that, that essentially could stay longer in the game. The mm -hmm. entrepreneurs that had the greatest amount of grit the ones that could get punched and get back up, that could stretch their dollar to last a whole lot longer than other people, those were the entrepreneurs that ended up achieving success because that kept them in business for one month longer, two months longer, whatever it took for them to get their big break. And so the best professional advice I ever got, don't give up. I feel motivated. Yeah, man. When, when we actually get back into you know public gatherings being a thing, you should get on the, the speaking tour. You got a big message there. <laughs> I don't know how long we got to wait that one out for, but I love the energy. Garrett, where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? I appreciate you asking that. So if you are interested in learning about horizontal mentorships or horizontal mentor programs for your company, you can go to our, my website, which is ambition-in-motion.com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, just LinkedIn slash Garrett Mintz. Just say how you found me. So just say, hey, uh, I saw you on this podcast. Um, send me a LinkedIn message. Don't send me the generic like connection click request <laughs> without a note. Uh, I mean, I probably will still accept it, but if it give me context, I'm much more likely to actually follow up with you and send you a message. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just seems a lot more personalized if you send a message um, when it comes to LinkedIn connection requests. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, LinkedIn and yeah, check out our website. And yeah, if you're working at a company, if, that, and you think to yourself, man, I think it would be great if we had a mentor program. Um, we have our work orientation assessment on our website. You could take it. I can send you your work orientation report. And um, you can see how your work orientation would impact the mentoring relationship. Cool. Cool. That's amazing insights for some of our listeners, for sure, who are probably like, how do I get this started? And that's a great, great point. Cool. We will call it a week and call it a show with that. Uh, thank you so much for being with us this week. For the Career Builders Podcast, I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Pekosek. Our guest was Garrett Mintz. Go check out what he's doing. He's got a lot of energy. He's going to give some of it to you. We'll be with you guys again soon. Be well and take care. Bye.